This morning we'll be looking at the second half of Genesis chapter 18, continuing in the story of Abraham, where we have been for some time and will be for a little bit of time. We'll be looking this morning at chapter 18, verses 16 through 33. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. This is the very word of the living and true God. It is completely without error. It is completely authoritative. And it is completely sufficient for you to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ and to know the will of God. Genesis chapter 18, beginning at verse 16. Then the men set out from there, And they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous people within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are there. He answered, For the sake of the forty I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of the twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak again this once. Suppose... Ten are found there. He answered, 
For the sake of the ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you would use this segment of your word, this wonderful passage of Abraham's intercession with the Lord, to teach us, O Lord, who you are and what duty you require of us. This we ask in the name of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Chapter 18 is a very interesting chapter in Genesis. It is of two different minds, emphasizing two different things. You will recall last week, we looked at the incident of Abraham dining, or at least serving, the three men, who turn out to be two angels and the Lord God Himself. And we see the Lord once again sharing His promise with Abraham and Sarah, and Sarah doubting it and laughing. And the reminder to Sarah and to us was, is anything too wonderful for our God? How big is your God? Is He big enough to do anything that He says? Is He big enough to handle your problems and challenges? This week we're looking at a little bit of a different aspect to God. Because you see, for some of us, God is indeed very big. God is in fact so big that we cannot come before Him. We think of God as off in the distance somewhere. Not really paying much attention to us. Certainly not someone that we could have an audience with or speak to. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the Spirit of God puts right next to the beginning of chapter 18 this story in the second half of chapter 18 to show us that not only is our God a big God, our God is a very personal God. He is a God who takes notice of the world, of the doings of man, and of each and every one of His children. This morning we're going to look at this interesting interview, this odd prayer time between Abraham and God. And I think as we look at it, it will show us three things about this personal God that exists. The first thing that it will show us is that the Lord is a true friend. The Lord is a true friend. The second thing we will see is that the Lord is a changer of hearts. And the third thing we will see is that the Lord is indeed a just judge. A friend, a changer of hearts, and a just judge. Well, let's begin then by looking at chapter 18, verse 16, and seeing that the Lord is indeed a true friend to Abraham. The story begins here this morning with the breaking up of the lunch party. You may recall Abraham had seen the three strangers. He must have had some inkling that something was going on because he ran around like a schoolboy. 
Hurry up, Sarah. Come on, get the food going. All right, pick the best calf. Come on, let's go. Get it over to him. Is there anything else I can give you? He was very anxious to be with them. And so the first thing that we see here in the context of the Lord being a friend to Abraham is that the Lord knows Abraham. He knows him in the context of relationship. They were together because God chose to be with Abraham. And more than that, they did more than just share a meal. No, the Lord revealed important information to Abraham. The Lord, we might even say, revealed His heart to Abraham. The great promise that God had decreed was revealed to Abraham, his friend. And this picture now we have of the three men and Abraham walking off from Abraham's tent towards Sodom, it conjures, at least in my mind, a picture, a moment of what life must have been like in the Garden of Eden. As Abraham walks with his father and his God. He walks with him, and perhaps words don't even need to be shared. Just the mere communion of being together is a grand blessing to Abraham. Abraham is in relationship with God. The Lord knows who Abraham is and he praises Abraham. Do you see it here in verse 18? The Lord says, shall I hide this from Abraham? Verse 18, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now, The Lord's knowledge of Abraham is different than our knowledge of others. Do you have any famous friends? Do you have anyone that you know and you want to describe them to someone else? I have a friend that in the modern day and age immediately catches people's attention. A man that I was friends with for years and was in school with and Debated in a debating society. He is right now the lead lawyer general counsel for Facebook. That's who he is. When Facebook sends you changes and new privacy things and everything else, he's read it. He signed off on it. Please don't ask me to send him complaints. But you see, now that's all you know about this person. You know his accomplishment because I've told you. Or perhaps you say this person is a great teacher or this person is a great athlete. But you see, with God and Abraham, it's completely different. God doesn't know Abraham by who he is. God knows Abraham by what he has made him. Do you see that? Abraham is the one who will be a great and mighty nation. He, right now, of the zero children through Sarah. Abraham is the one through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The only way that this will happen is by the work of God. Abraham's worth comes completely from God. That is how he becomes the friend of God. And God goes further in this as he describes in verse 19. He says, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household. Now this word here for choose, I hate to tell you, is actually not the word for choose. 
But it's, it's properly translated. But what you need to know is there is so much more behind this word. This is not just simply the word for select. I choose chocolate instead of vanilla. I choose hamburger instead of hot dog. No. This is a word that means I know him. I know him in the deepest, most intimate way. You've probably heard others tell you this word is the word that is used when it is described that Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived. God is in a very intimate relationship with Abraham. He knows the very fiber of his being. This is once again the language of sovereignty working out. Abraham is known because God has known him. He is chosen, selected out from amongst all because God has put his gaze upon him. You see, this sentence here, just as a quick aside, is an incredible challenge and rebuke to those who would cast the election of God as some sort of cold, calculating roll of the dice. That God chooses indiscriminately cold-heartedly. He gathers for himself a people with no real knowledge or love or heart. And right here God says, I know Abraham. That is how I chose him. I chose him because I set my love upon him and I know all about him. Do you know who else God knows? If you have professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are a child of God because of the work of Jesus, God knows you. He has chosen you. He is your friend. He communes with you. Abraham has nothing on you. You can be in the Lord's presence anytime by the work of Jesus Christ. You see, Abraham is known by God and he is the friend of God for who knows you better than your friend? Unless you think for a moment, well, no, I think my spouse. Your spouse should be your best friend. The one who knows you most intimately. Who knows all of your faults, all of your sins, all of your problems, and yet still loves you. This is an image of the Lord. You see, Abraham is called in Isaiah 41, the friend of God. James confirms this for us in chapter 2. He says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. What does it mean to be the friend of God? Well, what it means is that not only are we known by God, but the Lord makes himself known to us. This is the definition of being the friend of God. It's what our Lord Jesus Christ said in John 15. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. Jesus declares to his friends, to the children of God, all that the Lord does. And that's exactly what the Lord does here with Abraham. It's a picture that we can latch onto. There's a, an almost an inner debate that we are privy to. 
that the Lord gives to us in His Word so that we can understand this. He says in verse 17, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Well, of course I can't. The Lord reveals to His friends. The Lord reveals to His prophets. And so God then reveals His design to Abraham. He is the one who broaches the subject. In verse 17. And look at verse 22. The two men go off, and what does the Lord do? He stands there before Abraham. He is the one who waits for Abraham to make his plea. He initiates it. He waits for the plea to come. And then we will see later in verse 33, he is the one who ends the matter. The conversation ends when God leaves. God is in complete control of all of this revelation. And all of this is done for Abraham's benefit. You see, he wants Abraham to know what is about to happen is not a matter of chance. He wants him to know that there is a reason for this. That this destruction that is about to come is his act. And he is describing it to Abraham in this detail because he wants him to understand the purpose and the reason for doing things. This applies to us as well. As we look about and see circumstances and events and relationships and families, we must understand that these things do not happen by accident. Now, that doesn't mean that we know the exact reason for everything that happens. I don't know why Isaac became a hurricane. I don't know why it flooded portions of the Mississippi or Arkansas. But I do know that it was not a random act of chance, of molecules thrown together somehow that God did not know or prepare for. The Lord is sovereign in all things. And he reveals his design here to Abraham. And he reveals more than his design, he reveals his purpose. He says, shall I hide this from Abraham? Of course not. Why? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. There are really two Lessons that I think Abraham is to get from this. And two lessons that I think we can gain. The first is God wants to underscore, to highlight, to put in bold letters the difference between being under His blessing and being under His curse. Do you see that? Abraham is blessed of the Lord. Sodom is cursed. They have very different relationships with the Lord. And that is the result of very different outcomes. It is because of who Abraham is in the Lord and who Sodom is not that this will happen to them. You see, the difference is the relationship with God. And this is as true today as it was in those days. The only thing that makes the difference is the relationship of an individual or a people with God. 
So this is a lesson for us, timely, I think, at this time of year. How will America be improved? How will our unemployment rate go down? How will our happiness quotient go up? How will our security be more firm? Everyone on every television station, in every newspaper, in every magazine has a plan for this. More of this, less of that. This instead of that. The other thing. But in the final analysis, the only thing that will make any difference is the relationship of God's people to Himself and the relationship of a nation to the law of God. If you want to see our nation grow, be blessed, improve, whatever adjective or adverb you want to use, then you should be praying right now that we would draw closer to the Lord. And I don't just mean vaguely as a nation. I mean as the church of Jesus Christ. And I don't just mean a church writ large. I mean the church here in Katy. And I don't just mean this congregation. I mean you. You must draw closer to the Lord. That is the only thing that makes the difference. It is the relationship with God. There's a second thing that God wants to teach Abraham in this, and that is He wants to motivate Abraham to teach righteousness and justice. This is an object lesson for parenting. Parents, listen up. God is teaching Abraham how to parent. He knows Abraham will have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. He knows he will have descendants and that his descendants will be tempted to go the way of Sodom, to go the way of unrighteousness, to go the way of injustice. We know this to be true because the prophets decry against it from all the mountaintops. The Lord knows this is going to happen. And so he reveals this example of what he is doing to Sodom for Abraham, his children, his grandchildren, and his descendants after him. Which descendants include you. You see, you need to know, I need to know, that we must practice righteousness and justice, that we must not go after the way of Sodom. We are not called to unrighteousness. We are called to righteousness. And this is why this example is set before us. You see, Sodom is a special warning for all time. When Israel was about to enter into the promised land after the Exodus, God said in Deuteronomy 29, Do not be like Sodom. Remember what I did. When Israel was falling away from the Lord in Jeremiah chapter 23, He said to them, Do not be like Sodom. Remember what I did. He also declared it to the nations, to Babylon, to Edom, to Moab, to Ammon. In all these nations, it has one thing in common. It is said, Do not be like Sodom. Remember what I did. It's a warning for all time. 
It's a warning that comes not just to ancient nations, but it comes to you and to me for the city that rejected the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ, that refused to believe He was sent by God, that refused to believe that He was the ancient lawgiver, that refused to believe their only hope was in Christ. The response of the Lord to them was, Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom than for you. That should frighten us. That should bring into sharp focus our need for Jesus and our need to accept what He has said is true and our need to put our faith and trust in Him. Because if we do not, we would have been better off being in Sodom. And we'll see what happens to them next week. The second thing that we see here is that the Lord is not just a true friend, but He is a changer of hearts. He changes the hearts of His people. Specifically here, Abraham. The first thing that He does is He gives a heart for holiness. Look with me at verse 20. The Lord says to Abraham, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So, the Lord describes what is going on in Sodom for Abraham. He wants Abraham to understand how wrong it is. And to judge it according to a proper standard, a standard of holiness. He uses a legal term. See, when we hear the word outcry, we think of somebody yelling. Maybe a baby screaming for food. Or maybe a teenager screaming when they don't get their way. But really, this is a legal term. This is a complaint. This is a lawsuit. There's a legal term to be used here. The wickedness of Sodom is so great, it is indeed great, that God has heard the complaint and will come down to judge. It is heavy and egregious. This is... Not unlike our day, is it? Do you hear the cries of our nation? Now, I don't mean even the light sins. Or the sins that we can control and turn off. I don't mean how television has gotten more filthy over the last 25 years. I don't mean the ratings of music records. No. I mean, do we hear the cries of the woman who is continually beaten by her husband? Do we hear the cries of the children who are abused, damaged by parents, by governments, by trusted friends? Do we hear the outcry of those who have nothing to eat because they have been stolen from? Do we hear the whimpering of those who are so beat down by being told all the time they are no good, they are worthless, I wish you were dead? This outcry of our nation that thinks itself so grand, so civilized, so proper, rises up before the Lord and He will judge. It is the purpose 
It is the task of God's people to hear that outcry with Him. To confess with Him the standards of holiness. To pray that His judgment and justice would be found. To pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That is what the church is called to first and foremost. You see, this outcry came from Sodom. Nothing had changed since Lot showed up in town. Abraham knows God's character. He knows that he is a holy God. He knows that God will go down because the last time God said, I will go down, was at the Tower of Babel. And he wiped that out. God has changed Abraham's heart to be a heart that seeks after what God loves. What God says is right. But there's something else that God has done to Abraham's heart. We see it here in this passage. The second thing is is that He has given Abraham a heart for the lost. You see, the friend of God is, must be the friend of man. The friend of God sees the doom that hangs over the wicked and does not walk down the street whistling. The friend of God sees the doom that hangs over the wicked and because of that, because he knows the surety of God's judgment, because he knows the bright, blistering fire of God's holiness, because of that, the friend of God is moved to pity just like Abraham is. And he goes through this series of questions, the interviews. It's almost comical, isn't it? You're waiting for the other shoe to drop. But I want you to notice one thing in all of this before we get into the 50, the 45, the 40, the 35, the 30, the 20, the 10. Not once does Abraham question God's judgment. Not once. He doesn't say, oh, come on, cut him some slack. He doesn't say it's really not that big of a deal. He doesn't say the way so many modern men do, it couldn't possibly be right for a for a God who's loving to actually judge anyone. No, what Abraham does is, he does not contest the justice at all, but in the justice, he intercedes. Do you know about hell? If you do not, then look at Sodom. But if you do, if you know about hell, then that will make you more patient with the wicked. It will make you more patient with their persecution. It will make you more patient with the injustices that are done to you, for you see the doom that hangs over them. (coughs) It will compel you to warn them. To be a child of God, to be a friend of God, is one who cannot help, strives with every measure to see that the doom that is over the wicked is averted because that is the only way that they will find out. It is the only way that they can escape is by embracing the Lord Jesus Christ. The more you know about hell, the more you ought to love sinners. To sacrifice for sinners. To speak to sinners. To be uncomfortable with sinners. Not that you might be like them, but that you might testify to them what changes. Abraham had this heart. (coughs) 
It was not a natural heart that he had. So if you are sitting here right now saying to yourself, well, that's well and good, Pastor. You talk a good game. But let me tell you, it's hard to be patient with people. I know. You want to find out? Drive in a car with me. You'll see I know it's hard to be patient. Watch a newscast with me. You'll see me shouting at the TV. But you see, this is what the Lord does to us. He takes us where we are, and part of the process of sanctification is to give us a love for the lost. To bring them the good news. To seek and to intercede. And Abraham has such a heart for the lost that it's comical. He almost gets himself into trouble, we might think. When is he going to quit? But I think his heart has been so changed. I think the reason that he quits at 10 is because God walks off. Not because Abraham thinks he's hit the magic number. Abraham has a heart for the lost. The third thing that we see that God changes in his heart is that God gives Abraham a heart for prayer. Now I want you to understand this is a wonderful image of prayer because... This prayer that Abraham makes, this extended intercession. Now, we don't know if it was only as long as it took me to read that passage. (coughs) Or if perhaps it was an hour's worth of time. Or two hours worth of time. Punctuated by other conversation or by silence. But one thing that we do know is that this prayer begins with God. It's God who provokes the questions. God says, let me tell you what I'm going to do, Abraham. What do you think about that? Nudge, nudge. It's God who stands there waiting. When the other two, the two angels, go off to destroy Sodom, God stands there waiting, almost as if to say, is there anything you'd like to say? You've done that with your kids, haven't you? After perhaps an unsavory incident and you're looking for something that approaches an apology and your child comes up in front of you and you just stand there and you say, you have anything to say for yourself? Anything at all. That's what God's doing. He's provoking Abraham. He's poking him and saying to him, you must come to me in prayer. And Abraham expresses, I think, one of the most magnificent prayers in all of Scripture. And that's not because of the the words or the phrasing or the rhetoric. It's because of the nature of the prayer. It is humble, it is modest, it is persistent, and it is persuasive. In turn, first, it is humble. You'll notice Abraham does not plead Anything based on his worth. He doesn't say, God, you should listen to me because look at all that I have done. He doesn't even say, God, you should listen to me because look at all that you've promised me. You don't need to raise your hand. But have you prayed like that? Lord, please, please answer this prayer. You know how much I serve your kingdom, Lord. 
You know how many Bible verses I've memorized. You know how many people I've counseled. You know how... Are you tempted to pray like that? Repent of it. Prayer should be humble. The second thing we see is that this prayer is modest. Abraham does not ask God to explain everything under the sun to him. He does not come to him like an inquisitive six-year-old. Well, why Sodom? Well, what day? From which direction? How many people? What are their names? Where did they go? Where did they come from? And again, I think we can be tempted to pray that way. Wanting to know all things. Lord, tell me what you're doing in my life. Why am I here at this college? Why am I married to this person? Why do I have these children? Why do I not have children? Why am I sick? Why am I healthy when this person is sick? We can be tempted to want to know all of the answers, especially all at once. Abraham teaches us to be modest. The third thing we see is that he is persistent. We see this obviously from the length of it. Six times he goes back to the well. You read this and you sort of cringe. Now, young people, let me ask you this. If you went and said, Mom, can I have a cookie for dessert? Mom said, yeah. You come back a minute later. Mom, how about, I was good today, how about two cookies? Okay. Mom, how about three cookies? Okay. With that voice that says, please do not come and ask me again. Right? By the fourth time, you don't even get mom out. I said okay to three. Right? Abraham just keeps coming. He keeps coming back. He's persistent. He will not give up. And it's in his language too. He says, I am determined to speak with the Lord. I am focused. Look at how many times he says the word determined. The final thing he is, is that he is persuasive. Now, lest you think there is a magic bullet to prayer to getting the answer to everything that you want, you must understand that that's not the case. But there's a principle here. Abraham is persuasive, not because of his tears, not because he gives a sob story about the Sodomites, not because of what he has done. He is persuasive because he pleads God's character back to him. Lord, you are holy. Lord, you are just. Lord, show your glory in this. Show that you are perfect and just and true and right and good. That kind of prayer persuades God. It's also a very real prayer. I've encouraged you in the past and I will continue to encourage you throughout especially this wonderful book of Genesis to realize that Bible people are real people. Abraham comes to God with real feelings. He is really afraid for Lot and his family. He's not looking for intellectual reasons for his problems to be answered. He wants to know that the one who cares for him, the one who rewards those who seek him, will hear him out and answer his prayer. Abraham is a changed man because of what God has done. Lastly, finally, and briefly, the Lord is a just judge. Because you see, this story is moving toward a conclusion. We will see that next week. 
But we understand the context of what will happen in chapter 19 through chapter 18. God has revealed Himself and His intentions to Abraham because He wants to reveal His justice. He wants Abraham to know that this is a part of His character. How does this all start? It all starts when God comes to Abraham and says, this is what I'm going to do. Think of what we would know if God had not done that. Chapter 18 would read, And Abraham walked the three men down the road for Sodom. And the next day, as he arose from the tent, Abraham looked to his wife Sarah, and he says, Looketh thou, dost thou see the smoke rising from Sodom? I wonder what happened there. And we would be the lesser. Forever. Because we would not understand that God is a God of justice. That the smoke rises from Sodom because their sin had risen up to the Lord. And because God cannot stand that much injustice and sin. God wants to see, He wants Abraham to see that there is no chance to this. God knows what is going on, and yet he says, I'm going to go down, Abraham, and take a look. When you saw that, did you look and say, well, God, why are you bothering to go? You already know. You're omnipotent, and you said you heard the outcry. The reason God goes down is he wants it to be known beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is a just God. And he will do this by exercising his justice here in this midst. Abraham knows that God is just. He knows he exercises justice. That's what prompted Abraham to make all of this intercession. He knows that if God does what God will do, Sodom is going to be flattened. There is no if, no and, or but. It's going to happen. He's concerned about Lot and those who are there. He's counting on God's justice. Because you see, God is patient. God will put up with your sin for a time. You know that because the earth hasn't swallowed you up. Because you haven't been struck dead by lightning or a heart attack or a stroke or something else. The very fact that you live and breathe is the mercy and grace of God. And this is what happened to Sodom. Think about it. See, we think of Sodom as the worst of all possible places. Sodom was the most gifted Canaanite town. It was Sodom that met with Abraham and was rescued by him. It was Sodom that met Melchizedek and heard his testimony of the God Most High. It was Sodom that had Lot, a believer, righteous Lot, living in their midst. That didn't happen in Ammon. It didn't happen in Edom. It didn't happen in Moab. It happened in Sodom. God was patient with them, just as He is patient today but his patience runs out. And so if you are bearing on his patience today, if you say, well, I can get to Jesus later. There's so many things God requires. I just want to live it up now. When I'm older and more stable, this text tells you, you have no choice. You cannot wait. God's patience will run out. And when it does, destruction will come in its wake. Are you ready for God's justice? And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, 
If you know the sweet comfort of being saved by faith in Christ, you know God's justice. Are you ready to intercede today for your family, for your friends, for your neighborhood, for your workplace, for your nation? Because you know God's justice is coming. Intercede for the lost. It's their only hope. Their only hope is found in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning that through this passage, You can prompt us. You can take us out of our comfort zone, O Lord. Take us out of our shell. And prompt us to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ with those around us. Lord, may your justice be an urging to us. That we would tell others of your greatness. Tell others of your holiness. Tell others of what you have done in the Lord Jesus Christ. This we ask in the name of him who is above all of Him who sacrificed Himself that we might live, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.